Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on Hawk Fanatic. Almost forgot what I was uh, doing. I just recorded a, uh, our prep podcast on, on the Hawk Fanatic Network, but this is the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast with Scott Dockman from The Athletic. Wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Um, seems like each year, Scott, there are more Thanksgiving food hot takes that people seem to feel the need to share um you have any or uh, it, it seems a little ridiculous to me i'm just happy to have food yeah uh after living on my own in college and i couldn't <laughs> wait to go to like my, to my aunt's house and my grandma's house to to load up and then on my own and now having you know my wife does a wonderful job of cooking and i just stay out of the way you know i would help but I'm no help. So no, I, I don't know. I, I remember I was driving home yesterday from uh, the football complex and all I heard was two people complaining about macaroni and cheese and, you know, and where it fits in. And that's not really been part of our dinner table plans, but, and I'm just like, eh, I, I like, just give me good food. That's all I care about. And I don't know if that I'll get it uh, Thursday night in, in uh, West of Omaha, but <laughs> Uh, I hope that <laughs> hope everybody else can get some. Yeah, convenience store, the convenience store Thanksgiving, Casey's, and uh, whatever they have over there. Quick trip, yeah. Uh, thanks Thanksgiving rotisserie hot dogs. <laughs> yeah. All right, there's my hot take. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it'll probably be uh, hotel restaurant slash bar food. I'd imagine. Yes, and. Uh, the Hawkeyes, Scott, are hoping to be thankful for Minnesota upsetting Wisconsin after uh, they are able to take care of Nebraska on Friday. Those for that for the folks that don't know out there, that's the scenario for Iowa to win the West and make it uh, make it to Indianapolis against the winner of Ohio State and uh, Michigan. Um, so, yeah, a lot on the line here. And as we talked about briefly before we started recording, Scott, it, it's a nice – it sets up nice for Iowa. If Iowa can win Friday against Nebraska, um, it puts pressure on Wisconsin to have to win on Saturday against its rival. No question. And, uh, and I think in some ways, you know, Minnesota wouldn't walk across the street to, 
to put out a fire at Iowa or Wisconsin, no question about it. But, but I think, uh, you know, <laughs> given that the, they're fighting for a, a great trophy, I mean, that the ax is as good as outside of Floyd, I put it at the number two and some people may disagree with, even with that, it's a great trophy. They want to win it. It's a big rivalry game for them. And if they could spoil and looking across the field and look in their eyes and ruin their chances of going to Indianapolis, they would love every minute of it. It doesn't matter who's going. It's just not going to be Wisconsin. So I, I think you're right. And, you know, judged by what we saw with Wisconsin earlier this year, um, they beat Iowa, no question. I'm not even going to argue that point. But I'll also say Iowa gave them some points too. No, You know, I mean, Iowa – played its ass off defensively for a long, long time. The offense couldn't do anything, and the offense basically lost that game. So uh, this is not the best version of Wisconsin we've ever seen. Good running back, you know, really growing before our eyes. Great defense. But outside of that, um, they're vulnerable. And I think Minnesota is capable of, of controlling the line of scrimmage or at least making it a net even. And so, uh, but, but Iowa has to take care of business first because that didn't happen. And then the, none of the scenarios. Happened. Yeah. And Iowa kept its hopes alive with a uh, win against Illinois last week. Wasn't pretty, but uh, you don't get really style points at this point. You're not going for the college football playoffs. So the style points don't matter as much. Um, still, Still work in progress as we head into week 12 for the Iowa offense, but the defense continues to play well. And the special teams, uh, special teams were the difference on Saturday with uh, Charlie Jones changing the momentum of that game. Um, had the had the fumble on the punt, which is a bad snap that happens. Uh, but Caleb Shudek continued his excellent season. Um, so uh, the two phases have been good enough for a uh, nine and two start, Scott. Yeah, you know, it's 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 funny because I, I kind of posed this question in an analysis today, which is, is Iowa an underachieving team or an overachieving team? And I think it really depends on some of your perspective. And one is before the season, nine and two at this point, with the chance to win the division title on the weekend, not being able to control its destiny per se, but but still having an opportunity. I think that's that's pretty much what you want year in and year out. So in that case, um, I think, all right, if you look at the offensive numbers, it's clearly an overachieving team because those offensive n- numbers are just abysmal. They still are, no question. Uh, ugly. But then what a lot of people have felt is, and I understand this, Hey, they went all the way to six and oh, they're ranked second in the country. They won 12 straight games. This looked like the year where they might go to the playoff. And, uh, but I think when you look at the season, the team as a whole, their strengths, their weaknesses, what they could accomplish, they've done just about everything they could do. They've gotten, as I, as I've said before, you know, the last couple of drops out of this ketchup bottle. And, uh, and I think that's a testament to the team the way they worked and persevered because there were a couple of games there. They lost two games and they clearly lost, them. but the games that they could have lost were like Penn state and Minnesota. And heck, even last week, I think to some extent they were in, in that category. Um, Iowa state might've entered that frame if they didn't play so dominantly defensively. So I think overall, you've got to look at this game and the season and say it's, it's been a success. 
Yeah, definitely a successful season. I think you reserve special seasons for championships. Uh, I think that's fair to say. But really, Scott, it's up to the individual. And as you said, expectations are a big part of it. What do you expect? Do you expect to win the West? Is that your, you know, is that your bar? And Iowa had an opportunity, just beat Wisconsin. And that's been the bugaboo now for the last decade, just beat Wisconsin, wasn't able to do that, but still has life here. And this story's still to be written um, because there are a lot of ways this can unfold, the best being winning the West and then going and playing well in Indianapolis and getting a good bowl game. But, you know, I maybe Iowa doesn't win the West but gets the cap one bowl and beats Texas A&M or somebody like that. I mean, that's that's another chapter to the season. But I do think you have to differentiate between the special, which is a championship team, which the last one was 2015 when Iowa won the West, and a really good season. You know, uh, you, you can't turn your nose up at, at 10 wins any way, shape, or form uh, at Iowa or anywhere else for that matter. You could be, you could be what Iowa played last week where Illinois is, or you could be what Iowa plays this week where Nebraska is. And I know people get frustrated with that, but you all, you have to have perspective. And I think you look at this team and if I were to look up and down the statistics, which I'm doing right now, but, and to see some of the numbers, especially on offense, I don't think I would, it would, it comes out as nine and three. No, I mean, when you're running for 3.1 yards per carry and you're Iowa, you're averaging less than 26 points a game um, and your total offense is 293, that does not say special season. So, but, and I understand that perspective from fans that think, you know, when you think of special seasons, you think of big fun games, uh, games that really you make a lot of offensive plays to win. And uh, you think of, stands into McNutt, or you think of the comeback against Indiana or um, Adrian Claiborne's pump block, you know, which is the 09 season, or you think of um, all the craziness of 2004 and the dominance of 02. And anyway, in 15, you went 12 and 0. I mean, that's in, in, in the regular season. That, those are obviously tremendous numbers. However, this would only mark the sixth time in Iowa history that they could win 10 games in the regular season. And only the 10th um, in Iowa's history in counting the postseason. So I think when you look at that from that perspective, you take what you can get. Now, I, you know, I, I try to, I don't want to look too far ahead, certainly, but you've got to be really excited about what you see with this team in the future because just about every key player save for a guy who graduates next month and is uh, <laughs> a top 10 pick and could leave, save for him, they, I think they have people who can step in to replace the departed, and a lot of the young players are going to grow and get really good in the next year. So this could be uh, – and the six-year period is – Iowa's had more wins than any other six-year period in Iowa history. So there are some real positives, and I'm, I'm not trying to spin it, because I understand the disappointment. I understand what we've seen, games of, and losses. But I also think in perspective purposes, sometimes you got to celebrate the fact that, hey, this team just doesn't have a lot of weapons, but it's gritty and tough, and it's winning these close games. And, and I think sometimes you need to appreciate that too. 
Yeah, and, and like we said, Scott, it's up to the individual uh, to decide whether or not or how they want to remember the season. And uh, I still think there's a lot on the table here that we have to um, be cognizant of. You know, it, it, you still have to see how this thing plays out. And uh, that uh, the next step of that is Friday in Lincoln, where we learned on Monday that um, – Adrian Martinez, the Nebraska veteran four-year starter at quarterback, will not be playing. Uh, I saw a tweet today that he's having surgery today on the shoulder. Um, feel bad for the kid. I, I don't. I haven't covered him closely, obviously, other than when Iowa's played him. But I, I, I watched the post-game press conferences with him after a lot of crushing close losses, and the kids always stand up, takes responsibility, adds doesn't get snippy, you know, really is an admirable kid to, to watch how he handles being in the pressure cooker that, that is Nebraska. I know you think about Iowa being a pressure cooker. Nebraska is equal to that at least, if not worse. Um, so really feel bad for him because this could have been uh, – we'll see if he comes back, but this could have been a, a chance for him to maybe uh, go out with a bang. Sure. Yeah. And I, I think everybody's kind of had that same reaction around here, which is um, a, a salute to a worthy competitor. And, you know, he's played for three years and Nebraska never beat Iowa. But when he was back there, you know, he engineered some comebacks uh, that nearly turned into upsets. Um, you know, he had him in chances to win even last year. He's tough. He, he had a broken jaw earlier this year and played through it. You know, the shoulder's been an issue, and then it started flicking really badly uh, late in the first half and still played through it. And so it's kind of one of these tip your cap, and I think everybody's kind of done it, but certainly even in Iowa, like, okay, we got you. We understand. And and I think that's that's the good side of sportsmanship and, and great fan bases, and like, like both our fan, great fan bases. They support their team, and they also understand their opponent. And you look at him and go, okay, now this guy was a really good player, and, and you appreciate what he brought. But, you know, and I, I think, you know, Kirk Ferentz brought it up, and, and it was good for him to do that. The players certainly did. But then on the other side is now you've got an opportunity against a young and experienced quarterback, and you can do – uh, you should be able to handle that as defense. I mean, at least make it really rough for him. And 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 Nebraska has some skill position players who are pretty good. That's going to be a challenge, but um, it would have been a lot more of a challenge if Adrian Martinez was there. Um, and and sometimes guys like that, even in those moments, just kind of you know engineer victory and kind of go out with that bang, win a trophy. It wasn't a great season, but but it's going to be kind of hard for you know, Logan Smothers, a, a freshman, to, to do that. Do you think, because I was wondering about this, somebody asked me that this this week, I, Nebraska has some open practices, don't they, for the media? Would they have found out that he was not going to play, or could Frost have kept that under wraps? They, um, I, I don't know their policies. Their policies have, have cut way back. Um, over the years they used to be pretty open with everything and now they're not but I don't know and but you know what that's that's the right thing to do I agree and I I think Kirk would have done that with a season ending injury Um, so you know that's really plus it kind of allows everybody to go oh okay 
you know, let's, let's give it some thought on this kid. And because, um, yeah, it would have been hard to hide all that. I mean, it's one thing if you got players who have the flu or something like that, which is going around, but it's another thing for teams to hide a, a major injury. And, and he could barely come off the field anyway. So there would have been questions about it all week and, and it would have been tough. Yeah, and you're right. It's the right thing to do. There were some nice stories, columns written about him, and he deserved that. I know Mitch Sherman wrote a good, nice piece at The Athletic on kind of looking back at his career and uh, obviously hasn't gone the way he wanted, but um, but certainly he's handled everything and all that adversity really well um, through the years. So uh, hopefully his future is bright, whatever he chooses to do. Um, the future on Friday is uh, is the Smothers Brothers. That's what I think of when I, <laughs> when I think of this kid. Um, it was interesting in talking. I know you probably talked to guy, the players yesterday about him, particularly the defensive players for Iowa. Um, and, and I think Kirk said the same thing. Um, you you kind of recruit to a system, and we've seen some different, um, a little bit different play calling with Alex Padilla than we saw, saw with Penn, Spencer Petras based on skill set and Alex's ability to kind of move a little bit better in the pocket and you can do some different things. And there may be some some different things that this kid are, are strengths for this kid that, that weren't for Adrian Martinez, but it's going to look like Nebraska's offense, or at least Nebraska hopes it's going to look like its offense. Yeah, they're not going to change much. I mean, why could, why could you? You know, and in fact, they still have four newest offensive assistants. So you throw that yeah. in the mix. I mean, at least when you had Adrian Martinez, you had some sort of continuity. Now you've got, <laughs> you've got a new offensive staff coupled with a brand new quarterback. Woo! That's a lot to ask of, a, of any team, let alone this team right now. And, you know, a three and eight team. And, and so I think it's uh, you're, you're what you're going to see is, I mean, Logan Smothers is, um, you know, he's from Alabama. He's kind of a more, he's a run pass threat, dual option guy or dual threat guy. So you're going to see him try to take off and run, which means Iowa is going to have to be careful in its lanes. A lot of times what we've seen and Sean Clifford was good at this is you spread out Iowa, you know, the, at all three levels, and then you let them make path and rush lanes. And then you take off running when you find one and, and uh, third and seven turns into first and 10. And I think that's something that they'll probably do some, but that's that's risky. You can't rely on that all game long. They've got great receivers, uh, you know, athletic-wise. I mean, Samari Toure is great, 40 catches. And Omar Manning looks the part. He's kind of like Brandon Smith, but maybe a little taller and, and just like, wow. You know, Austin Allen's a really good tight end, um, one of the better ones in the Big Ten. Uh, and Xavier Betts can really fly. Uh, but, you know, like Oliver Martin hasn't done a whole lot, 10 catches for 170 yards. And, uh, you know, Levi Falk is okay. So they've got some receivers, and it's just a matter of who can make a play for him all the time, not just once in a once in a while. And I will be out without Matt Hankins for a second straight week, potentially um... – without Terry Roberts and Jack Kerner as well. Uh, they're both questionable for Friday's game. So some uh, some uh, um, 
uncertainty in Iowa's secondary. Um, but it's kind of, you know, it's not just Adrian Martinez at Nebraska. Nebraska's dealing, obviously, JoJo Doman's out, but they, they're dealing with injuries as well. So kind of, I think that's kind of, they cancel each other out, both teams with, with injuries at this time of year is not, uh, not uncommon. Um, I think Nebraska looks better on defense than it has in the past. Um, so that will be interesting how that matches up with Iowa's inconsistent offense. Um, what, what, what Iowa is able to generate offensively will be interesting. Obviously the goal is to continue what it did last week, Scott, and that was, found a running game against a pretty good defense. Illinois' defense is pretty good, and Iowa ran the ball successfully. Yeah, they did a nice job, and a lot of it was uh, inside zone. It was kind of like they went, all right, who are our best linemen? Well, we know who the best one is. It's not close. <laughs> but but the guards have gotten pretty good, too. I think Connor Colby has really ascended, and he's a freshman All-American in my eyes. And then I also think uh, – uh, Kyler shot is taking his game to another level, which a lot of fifth year guys do and he's doing it. And so it's a matter of, uh, you know, following those guys and, and they were able to, I mean, Tyler Linderbaum played outstanding the other day. That was, that was a good game top to bottom with the flu, no less. And, uh, and, but yet there he was out there playing balls out. And, and so, you know, I, I think, that's the thing. I mean, Nebraska does uh, allow, you know, a little over four yards per carry. So there is an opportunity there. I mean, they allow 140 yards rushing per game. So there's an opportunity there. Iowa's just going to have to do it. Now it has every year that it's won these games. It has run the ball on Nebraska and that's really set the tempo. They're just going to have to keep it up. And uh, But can they do it? Mason Richmond is questionable. He might come back. And if, they, if he does, Kirk said it's probably more of a rotational basis. So I don't know. To me, that sounds more like if we need him, yeah, but otherwise let's just hold off because he had, you know, had a, you know, that knee looked pretty rough over at Northwestern. So um, anyway, I, I, I would expect Iowa to continue to try to set the run as a, as a key part of its game. Yeah. And Iowa's done a nice job with some mixing in some jet sweep and some, uh, you know, getting out of tendency a little bit against Nebraska. Nebraska, Nebraska has the tendency to be undisciplined on defense, and at least it has been in the past. And I was taking advantage of that. I think about Amir's long run. Um, a couple was that two years ago. Amir had the had the long touchdown run uh, on a, yeah. on a jet sweep or some some kind of uh, uh, unusual yeah. play for Iowa, other than inside outside zone. Yeah, right. It was that one in Pittsburgh. He and uh, Nate Stanley had a race. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. He also returned a kickoff for a touchdown in that game. He almost did two years before that, but uh, Gino Stone got flagged at the 12 for a whole. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Otherwise, if he would have scored, if he would have got the extra 12 yards, he'd be the all-time leading kick returner in yards per return in Big Ten history. So that cost him that. I gave him a hard time in the spring. I said, hey, Amir, do you ever say anything to Gino costing you the, the basically the Big Ten <laughs> kick returning championship and the record? He's like, no, man, I didn't I didn't know that. You know, so I don't, I'm sure they do every now and then. But but this uh this defense is veteran for 
for Nebraska. They're better than what they've been. JoJo Doman was an outstanding player. He was as good of a like weak side linebacker as you'll find in the league. So his he was hurt. He had surgery and or he could have probably played through it if he needed to, but it was just like uh, why? Especially because they had a bye before the Wisconsin game. And um, but they've got a lot of secondary players that you've seen back and and uh, you know they they have some pretty good statistics, but. You know, when, when you get into games like this, it's kind of funny. You know, some teams flex their rivalry muscles. You know, they, they play awesome. Other times they get a little bit um, deflated. And one thing I could watch for, not predicting, but watch for is, did they just expend everything at Wisconsin last week? Did they, you know, they, they had a week off. It was an incredibly emotional week. They fire four coaches. They put everything together. They tried so hard to go to Wisconsin. They barely lost kind of a controversial final play anyway. Um, and are they just mentally exhausted to the point of, yeah, we want to play this game. But w- one year that I saw that for sure was actually when Iowa used to finish with Minnesota in 2008. And they, the week before playing Iowa, they played uh, Wisconsin. And it was a back and forth, back and forth, back and forth game. And they lost really close. But mentally, they were all in on winning that game. So they, they were deflated, came back, played Iowa in the finale of the Dome, the last time they actually played in the Dome. And Iowa won 55-0. Not predicting 55-0, but I just saw a team that just mentally was zapped because of that, that rivalry loss. And and sometimes, you know, Nebraska considers Wisconsin a rival. I don't know if it's the other way around, but uh, it, it certainly adds to that thought, at least. Yeah, and it's senior day, and sometimes that can be good, and sometimes that can be bad if you're, you know, you want so badly to win for that group. And it's an important group for Nebraska. These are some of the kids that that Frost has brought in and guys that have kind of been there through his tenure. So you've got that aspect of it. But um, yeah, you don't really know what you're gonna you're gonna get when you get a you know go into a season finale against a three and eight team that's playing its last game no matter what happens, um, you know, and it maybe it's just a continuation of a, a team that's you know lost seven one score games and this is just a dogfight till the end or maybe it's just you know as you said all the gas is out of the tank from last week. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and I can see it from any level. I mean, going into this week, not knowing that Adrian Martinez wasn't going to be able to play. I was like, wow, this could go a lot of different ways. And maybe this is finally the time Nebraska gets over the hump, not only against Iowa, but against anybody after all these close games. And I think, Uh, and I think the bet, the gamblers felt that way. I mean, Nebraska was what three, three and a half point favorite they opened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it flipped by five points, (laughs) you know, when, when that came out. And I wouldn't be surprised now if, there, if it continues to go more in Iowa's direction because, uh, you know, it's easy to spot the flaws in, in the Hawkeyes, and it's less easy to see the strengths. And part of that is because they're not explosive on offense and they don't score with regularity. It's easy to just kind of say, yeah, they're just kind of getting along, just kind of fighting. But they're pretty damn tough, and they're really good on defense, and they're really good on special teams, and they force you to make plays to beat them. And uh, David Bell certainly did, <laughs> no question. And Iowa made a ton of mistakes against uh, Wisconsin and was beaten. But really everybody else, 
they've they've stepped up and they've gotten knocked out. And I think that's the thing. You know, and a lot of teams are probably looking at it going, man, we should have beat them, but you didn't. And I kind of wonder in this situation, Iowa just seems you can tell that there's a focus there that all right, we can get to 10 wins. And then maybe after that, they can get to Indianapolis. That still remains to be determined, but I don't think it's out of the question. It's not one of these games where you'd say, man, that would be a major upset if, if Minnesota beats Wisconsin. It'd be an upset, but it's yeah. not one that you're just like, oh, I can't believe it. You know, this is, um, but here we go. And, and But in order for that to happen, you've got to win on Friday. And there's a trophy at stake. There's a lot of pride. And you don't want to lose to Nebraska because you don't want to hear about it for a year. And, and that's one of the fan bases you will hear from almost every day. It was an interesting listening. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to Eric Chenander's press conference this week. I went over their website and checked it out and somebody asked him about the rivalry. And for those that don't know, he played at Iowa. Um, pretty good friends with Brian Ferentz. Uh, a lot of connections there. He's got family, a lot of family he talked about in the state of Iowa that will be rooting for the Huskers, kind of interesting dynamic there. But he talked about the rivalry and how important it is for recruiting, how important it is for Nebraska to get this win going into, you know, where it's going to focus heavily on recruiting because it doesn't have a game to prepare for, being able to go into the living rooms of kids that both schools are recruiting and saying, hey, listen, we're going in the right direction. We beat this team what have you. Um, so it was interesting to see him kind of talk about that and, you know, say publicly what we all know is the case. Yeah, absolutely. And plus, you know, Eric, Eric's had a rough fall too. Yes. You know, his dad got killed in a car accident and, and that was really tough. Um, but, you know, of course, <laughs> you know, recruiting season either starts next week for everybody except for one, you know, Wisconsin or everybody but Iowa. And uh, so they're going to be out on the road and they're going to be talking about this. And I think with Iowa, you want to make sure you still have that. Look, they haven't even beaten us since 2014. Look at the record. We were 10 and two. They were three and nine. Why would you really want to go there? You know, look at Thomas Fedoni. Why, why would you want to go there if you're not, you know, now he's got, he's started to play again. He played last week, sure that. you know, and uh, I'm sure he'll play, the other day or Friday, but it's important. And it's not really so important for the guys to 2022. It's for 2023, 2024 and beyond is look at us, look at us, look at us. And, um, you know, Iowa has some questions to answer. I mean, how, how much longer is Kirk going to do this? I, that's becoming more and more of a real question each and every day. So We'll, we'll see, but I think uh, it is important for Nebraska to show any kind of progress because right now, none of these players were alive last time they played in the Rose Bowl. You know, last time, last time they played in a major bowl game, the kids who are seniors now were not even born yet. So that's, you know, their, their fans can beat their chest on their tradition all they want, but that's really what matters when you start, uh, when you start to go into recruiting. And you really need, I mean, if you're in Nebraska, you need this, you need to use this as a stepping stone going into the offseason, a chance to beat your rival in the final game. Trev Alberts, the AD there, has already made a decision to bring Frost back, reduce contract, reduce salary, I should say, reduce buyout, pretty much saying, hey, you got to win next year. You, you got to get yeah. over the hump next year. And it would behoove them to <laughs> start. Yeah. The- 
this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I, and you know what though? I thought last week they were going to be dead team walking going over to Madison. I thought, oh my God, that's just the worst place to go to play a game like that without with a depleted staff, and you know, because because I guess I didn't see the team being that energized, you know, or at least that focused. But it all happened, and and power to them. I mean, that was really impressive to me that they even took it down to that the end of the game before it, it happened, and, but. Um, they got to do it again this week, shorter week. You know, they had two weeks to prepare. They, they only have six days now. Um, a lot of emotional baggage, quarterback out. You know, there's no real light at the end of the rainbow. That could be a drag. And so if you're Iowa, what you want to do is you want to punch them in the face really hard right from the very beginning. Do not let them th- even think they're going to be in this game. And so when you get in the second half, they give up. You just you know, and that happens mentally mm-hmm. that they just phase out and you run up the score and you put yourself in a position of saying, all right, we're burying you and we're going to continue to bury you. And when we go on the recruiting circuit, this is what happens if you go here instead of here and also make a statement to the, to the committee, the playoff committee that, Hey, this team deserves some new year's six bowl uh, consideration more than it's gotten so far. You mentioned uh, special teams, Scott. Obviously, Iowa's had a really decided advantage in that area throughout the season, uh, save last week's uh, bad snap on the punt. (laughs) It happens, but uh, really a decided advantage in this game. I was looking at some of the numbers here. Uh, Nebraska's allowing 25.4 yards per kick return, which is 116th in the country. Um, And... Uh, I was looking where where did I see that? And uh, I was only giving up seventeen point three, which is sixteenth in the country. Uh, Nebraska also gives up a lot of yards on punt returns. Their coverage teams just aren't very good. They've had issues at place kicker this year. Um, this is a game. This is an area where I think Iowa can really exploit the the opponent. This they do it pretty much every week, but this is a week where I think it's really really pronounced. Absolutely. And you, you talk about one area where it really could be significant in a game, if it is tight, is kicker. And you've got Caleb Shudak, who's kicked 350-plus field goals. He's 18-21 this year. Um, one of those misses was 57 yards. Yeah, another one was um, a high snap. I mean, and the other one was just a weird angle one. So, But, but I mean, you can remember the misses they, they, for different reasons. Likewise, they're 8-16. So, I mean, if, if each team has four, four field goal attempts, that could be a, a six, at least a three-point difference for Iowa. And then you look at punting. Um, you know, Taylor, Tory Taylor averages 45 yards a punt. They average 41. You know, that's half a first down almost. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then you figure in what why Tory sometimes doesn't get – 47 yarders it's because he knows where to leave the ball and force them to go 80 90 100 you know 95 yards so yeah I think special teams this is and this has been the problem for Nebraska all year they you know from the very beginning of the season when I think it was Cam Taylor Britt backed up and took a safety on a play and uh, you look at the the game against Michigan State they should have won that game and they punted you know they had everybody set to the right and, and the punter punts to the left, and then Jaden Reed takes it to the house. And uh, 
a miracle win, really, for, for Michigan State. And it's been those kind of miscues every game out there. And so that's an area where Iowa has, I would say, a touchdown difference. And that could be massive in a game like this. Yeah, field position will be interesting to keep an eye on. Um, and those hitting yards and turnover margin, another big one. Iowa usually has an advantage in this area. Iowa is second, tied for second nationally at plus uh, 1.09. Uh, Nebraska, 96 nat- nas- nationally at minus 0.36. So turnover, special teams. Um, I think you can make an argument. It would be a, a, you'd have a better argument if Martinez was playing that this is the the best offense that Iowa's played this year. Just you know, I, it's hard to make that argument with a with a freshman quarterback that you know that's thrown eleven passes. I think there are two teams that probably tell me that they were really really good offensively. Um, Purdue. Definitely, you know, and, and they had a great scheme for Iowa. They had a week off going to Iowa so they can perfect it. But Jeff Brom knows what he's doing and and he takes advantage of every weakness Iowa has and its style of play. Because Iowa's, you know, the the two gap, the the uh, reliance on stopping the run. Well, Purdue doesn't run the ball. And then, you know, they take advantage of your zone. And then you have a guy like David Bell. It's pretty easy just to do it all. Uh, but then I think you look at uh, the other one. Maryland, Maryland had yeah. a really good offense. You know, Dante Dimas unfortunately got hurt in that game. He's a really good player. And Rockham Jarrett was a really good player. I think Taga Viola was a good quarterback. They had talent, um, but they made some made them make some mistakes. I think I was capable of doing that again on on Friday. Um, it could spill over very quickly. That's the one thing with Iowa. You saw it against Iowa State, too, for that matter. And I think Iowa State has a good offense. They didn't show it that day. But, um, you know, I think Iowa's capable of all of a sudden, before you know it, it could be 3-3 three to three or 10-7 to seven or something like that. And then three turnovers later and, um, you know, in a quarter, you know, three quarters of a quarter. And it could be all of a sudden 31 to 10. Or, or something like that. So, um, as you mentioned, you know, Iowa's plus 12, they're minus four. Iowa has the most interceptions of any team in the country in 21. Uh, you know, I, I think they're <laughs> capable of getting a few on a guy who's never made a start. He's only from 11 career passes. So, uh, this is a, this is a scary proposition. I think, I think Nebraska will play hard early. And if they're in the game, they'll play hard. You just got to make sure you put them out really early and not let them get back in. Yeah. Um, Iowa, I looked this morning, I think Iowa was a point and a half favorite with the over under around 41, 41 and a half. Uh, I think the game goes over this week for some reason, just kind of, I think there'll, there'll be some points scored from both sides and uh, we'll go over that 41. We'll see. Um, Scott, you published the story. Uh, just a bit ago on The Athletic talking about um, what what are the rooting interests of the Iowa Hawkeye fans this weekend, a good guide for that. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit and talk about some bowl scenarios. People love that chatter. Um, yeah. A lot of things to be decided still here from, from not only the Big Ten, but from around the country that impacts where Iowa will go bowling. 
Yeah. And the first thing you got to realize is Iowa's ranked 16th, but they might as well be ranked 17th. And that is that there are 12 spots in the New Year's Six counting the playoffs. And uh, four of them uh, go and six champions automatically qualify. And the ACC, the top ACC team is Pitt, which is already behind Iowa. So you're basically 17th right now. So what you're going to want to do is you've got to kind of figure out how is this all going to play out? Well, um, I've kind of charted it as at minimum, there's going to be three SEC teams. You figure you've got, uh, you're going to have a group of five champion, Pac-12, Big Ten, Big 12, and then uh, Notre Dame. And, you know, So you're going to have like eight, counting Michigan and Alabama, no matter what happens uh, in their championship or their Big Ten East championship games. So there really are four spots in play. And then you also have to figure in things like um, if, if a Big 12 team gets into the New Year's Six or into the playoff, like Oklahoma State, then uh, the Big 12 gets to um, replace Oklahoma State in the Sugar Bowl. So that takes out a spot, you know, versus if Oklahoma State's ranked fifth, they would go to the Sugar Bowl. So what I did was I kind of organized, you know, four different teams you really want to see lose this weekend and then, you know, maybe take next weekend and beyond. And, and, and I preface this all by saying if, if Iowa wins and Wisconsin loses, then it doesn't matter. <laughs> and, uh, and if uh, Iowa loses, it really doesn't matter. But um, let's start with uh, the SEC. You got, at a minimum, three teams are going to be in it. And Georgia is already locked in. And I think Alabama is probably already locked in, unless it loses to Auburn and then Georgia. And then third, probably Ole Miss right now. Ole Miss is ninth and, and A&M's 15th. So those two teams are kind of next in line. So, all right, um, you really want to root of those two teams. You want to root against Ole Miss because they play Mississippi State. That's who, who is favored. It's at it's at us. Uh, uh, oh, what that's the hell that Sarkville, uh, Mississippi. So that's tonight, yeah. right? That's uh, tomorrow night, Thanksgiving. Tomorrow night. My bad. Yeah. No, it's, it's a high mall mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> but. The most realistic, because A&M plays at LSU, which normally you'd say, wow, that's going to be a great game. Well, LSU's coach, uh, Ed Orgeron, is about done, and, and it's not exactly like you, – you don't know what you're going to get. So the realistic scenario is root for Mississippi State in the Egg Bowl. Mike Leach, hey, he coached at uh, Iowa Wesleyan. So put on your uh, Iowa Wesleyan Tigers hat. Uh, second one, Michigan State. Now, I don't think anybody here is in the business of rooting for Penn State. <laughs> but you're gonna but you might want to hey, you're because, rooting for minnesota at this point all bets are off right <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know what's left rooting for iowa state too and all that. <laughs> um but uh no you, you want to root for uh penn state to go on the road and beat michigan state because michigan state's 12 they're nine and two they're on the edge you get you know you're gonna jump no question three this one's really tough and that's byu uh, they are ranked 13th, and they are clearly ahead, and they have one more game, and that's uh, against USC on the road. USC is four and six, and it's not a very good USC team without a coach. So what are you going to get there? Um, you're going to want to root for the Trojans, but this one may be the toughest scenario to kind of get your mind wrapped around. And then finally, um, you're going to want to root against somebody from the Big 12 to win and somebody from the Big 12 to, to really fall apart. So I would suggest, based on what I've seen, is Oklahoma State is the best team. 
keep rooting for them to win. And then root against OU and root against Baylor. And maybe one of them has to get up there into the Sugar Bowl. But if not, you don't want them both to be ahead of you. That's kind of a problem. Um, and so that's really the main gist for this weekend. I figure if those things happen, like let's say Oklahoma State blows out OU, if BYU gets upset, if Michigan State loses to Penn State and Ole Miss loses to um, to uh, Mississippi State, that'll put Iowa at about 12. And that's, ter- that's good territory. Now, you're probably still behind Wisconsin. I don't know if Pitt or anybody else will be ahead of you, so it really doesn't matter. And then you go into the next weekend, if Wisconsin goes to Indy, you hope they get run out and they drop below you and they'll have four losses anyway. So maybe then you sneak in. I think that's kind of the way it works now. But if you were to ask me what's the most realistic, where are they going to go? If I was to put my finger down today, it's the Citrus Bowl in Orlando. And uh, based on what I've seen for airfare, uh, we might even be having a great awesome caravan from the Iowa city area to Orlando rent a van for a week or something. Yeah. Um, cross that bridge when we get to it. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and then citrus is, is a really good bowl and it's going to be a sec school. Um, you know, maybe a and M maybe Kentucky, um, maybe old miss who, who knows it's going to be a good, it's going to be a really good opportunity if that's what it ends up being. No question. Uh, you're going to play a good team, no matter which bowl it is. And there's no problem with going to the citrus. Certainly. I mean, it, it is a little bit higher level uh, prestige slightly. I think this is the best. This is certainly the number one bowl outside of uh, the, uh, the New Year's six. But if, if you happen to break into that, then the, the opportunities are the Cotton Bowl, or no, I'm sorry, the Fiesta Bowl or the Peach Bowl. Fiesta would be, uh, and, and the teams that you would play from, probably some sort of pool would be a third SEC team. So Ole Miss or Texas A&M, you might play Notre Dame, you might play the ACC champion, you know. So, you know, it, it, the difference between 12th and 13th could be 12th, you might be playing Pitt in Atlanta or 13, you might be playing AM in Orlando. So both pretty good teams, same same neighborhood, um, probably an underdog either way. Um, but that's not the Iowa's not a stranger to that in the postseason anyway. Gotta take care of business on Friday, or then some other bulls come into the picture. Uh, should mm-hmm. Iowa fall and some of those teams that Scott talked about losing win, then you start to fall down the pecking order and uh, out back in Vegas probably become potential possibilities. But again, there's just a lot of stuff that needs to still be figured out before we uh, before we have a, a better, more clear picture of where Iowa's heading. I think it's pretty strongly the Citrus Bowl. Um, even with a loss, if that happens, if it's a bad loss, then maybe not. But I talked to a Citrus Bowl rep for quite a while. It's been 17 years since Iowa's been there. They've been to at least five games, Iowa games this year. And they they really like Iowa. Iowa Again, they've been, haven't been there for a while. And you look record wise, even if they were nine and three, that's a, that's a record that they get a lot of times. And, Mm -hmm. and, they would basically put them fourth in the Big Ten. So let's say either Michigan State or Wisconsin's up. 
then the other one would probably go to the Outback Bowl. Um, you know, and, and they, they would be fine with that because they think Iowa would travel well. And, and uh, you know, that plus they can always talk, everybody can kind of reminisce over Drew Tate's uh, throw. So I, I think overall that's, that's kind of the comfort level. But certainly if, you know, the Fiesta Bowl or the, or the Peach Bowl pop in, that's, uh, you know, it, it just, it has a little bit different, um, higher level of, uh, you know, it's a higher tier. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, Keegan Johnson gets to go home this week. An interesting dynamic for him. He was definitely buttoned up with us earlier this week about, about that. He did not want to say the wrong thing. And I certainly understand that as a true freshman, but got to be a, it's going to be, and he said, going to be surreal for him walking out on the field uh, at Memorial Stadium on Friday. It's going to be surreal for his family, I'm sure. His dad, Cluster Johnson, if folks don't know, played at Nebraska um, National Champion. Um, so hopefully it's a good homecoming for him. Hopefully it's his, it's, uh, he can uh, trade uh, stories with Noah Fan, who, who did well when he went back home. Yes, he did. Yeah, there's uh, there are all those stories, and you know you wonder, you know, the, he's going to probably be a little nervous. It's going to take some time. Probably the best thing for him is uh, don't throw him the ball in the first play. Throw it on the second play because the first <laughs> play just tell him to go hit somebody yep. and get you know, maybe get hit really hard and knocked down because sometimes you need that on the football field. It's just to get, get your shit knocked out, and then all of a sudden, all right, now I'm ready to play, and, and then then throw it. <laughs> So I, I think that would be, wouldn't be a bad idea. <laughs> no, I, I, I remember Noah Fant four years ago there. He tore it up, what, three touchdowns? And, you know, dove into the end zone at the end and got flagged for it. I mean, ridiculous penalty. He wouldn't change that at all. No. And uh, I don't know if, if Keegan would go over and spike or anything or <laughs> point to Scott Frost like Keith Duncan did, but uh, I don't think we'll see that. But, uh, you know, he's uh, – it, it is uh, – a it's going to be an interesting dynamic because Nebraska fans are not accustomed to seeing their hometown people playing and having big roles for Iowa, especially against them like this. I mean, because they would, they wanted Keegan Johnson and he picked Iowa anyway. And we see why he's really, really looks like he's getting better every week. The same with Orlin Bruce, uh, two true freshman receivers. I didn't, I didn't know if I'd ever see this day. Scott, where there were two true freshman wide receivers the same season, both playing well and being major contributors to Iowa. Um, you, you wonder where Iowa would be, and that's not – I don't want to piss off the Tyrone Tracy, Nico Regani, Charlie Jones crew, but it's obvious that these guys make plays when the ball's in their hands – and the coaches must be seeing in practice to be putting it in their hands during games. Heard it all year. And, I, you know, and, and early on, I was kind of wondering, I'm like, what? I think in the first two games or three games that they only had like 20 combined snaps. And, and I kind of understood it considering what we thought at that time of Indiana and Iowa State. Like, okay, this is a, these are tough games. You kind of want to have your players you have the most trust in in the game. But, man, they have really played well. They've made plays. And it's kind of funny how it's gone like every other game who, who makes the big plays and among them, you know, you had against, uh, you know, Northwestern, I think it was more Keegan and certainly it was against uh, Minnesota. But then last week, 
Arlen Bruce had a breakout type game and that touchdown at the goal line. I mean, that that's one of the plays of the year because he had a jet sweep. He, he, instead of going wide, they defended it wide. He cut back right into the face of a defensive back and plowed him over. True freshman, wide receiver, you know, with ant strength. Kind of reminds me of uh, Jordan Canzeri that way. Just pow and drove him right to the guy's back. And, uh, you know, I asked uh, Arlen about that. He was just like, yeah, that's why we, uh, on the sideline, everybody's like, yeah, that's why we lift, we lift at Iowa, you know, and, <laughs> and stuff. But it certainly was a, a play that energized everybody. Yeah, he's well put together for those that haven't seen him. He's not the tallest guy in the world, but he's, he's well put together. And for people that don't know, I mean, he played quarterback his yeah. junior year uh, when he was in Kansas City. And then they didn't have football. He transferred to Ankeny played receiver, um, and the rest is history. But really bright futures for both of those guys. And uh, I guess we can finish up, Scott, with the second part of our weekly Keegan discussion. We got Keegan Johnson out of the way. Now we got to go to the other Keegan who has just been amazing for Iowa. But he is the story of Iowa basketball. He's a national story right now, noticing a lot of hype for him on a national basis. We talked – before, maybe even before we started recording, that Iowa hasn't actually played Murderer's Row uh, in competition. <laughs> but <laughs> despite that, Keegan Murray is is putting up a historic uh, – it, it's a historic start for him. And uh, really, really fun to watch him. And uh, this Iowa team's kind of fun to watch. They, they you know, they, they're long. Uh, they, they're shooting it really well again. Got to be kept in perspective and context of the competition, and we'll definitely get a we'll definitely get a better read next week because it looks like Virginia's starting to figure things out. I noticed, uh, watched them the past couple nights; they're starting to figure things out. Purdue is ridiculous right now, mm-hmm. Big Ten favorite, I think, going in the conference play. But Iowa has those two games next week. Has Portland State this Friday at home to uh, to finish up this run of. Uh, six really bad opponents to start the season. But uh, this kid's been really good, Scott. And and we kind of thought he was going to be good coming into this season. And then sometimes, you know, that doesn't meet your expectations. He's met ex- expectations and more so far. I think he's exceeded them. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, 26.2 points per game, uh, eight and eight, 8.8 rebounds per game. Uh, he's Right now he's joined, uh, what, Michael Beasley is the only two players from a major conference uh, to score 24, more than 24 points in each of their first five games over the last 15 years. That's impressive, no matter who you do it against. And because uh, you've got to have quality minutes when you're out there. You can't, because even in these games, we know what these teams are like. Uh, you can't go out there and miss a shot or two or give up a shot or two and then go take your seat on the bench. And then by before you know it, you've had six points and four rebounds and just kind of it's, you know, playing, not really doing anything. It's just going to be interesting to see how he can hold up. As you said, Virginia is a defensive minded program under Tony Bennett. They love to play defense. So they're going to prevent every way they can from, you know, deny him the ball, keep him under wraps. They're going to be physical with him. It's kind of like watching Wisconsin, a good Wisconsin team. Um, as you said, I think Purdue is the best team in the conference. Going over to Mackey has never been easy for this team, ever, and, uh, and nor, nor should it be. It's a Big Ten road game. Um, and then Illinois at home. So you've got the next three games are going to tell me a lot about this team 
and a lot about uh, about Keegan. Not, I, I think Keegan's going to be a great player no matter what, but it wouldn't surprise if they take him away. Now we got to see what are the other cap- players capable of doing against a quality opponent night in and night out. And, and you've got you know what Connor McCaffrey and Patrick McCaffrey and and can Jordan Bohannon get off some shots off the outside and. And you know, what about guys off the bench that have made a, a mark so far? Uh, that, that, to me, next week it makes this basketball team. It's almost like, all right, now you're sorry. You know, because the first six games, we knew what we were going to get. Um, a lot of scoring and uh, a lot of questions unanswered in my eyes anyway. Yeah, no question. And uh, you know how it goes in this league, Scott. You've covered the Big Ten long enough from basketball. Great coaching staffs, great scouting reports. They're going to do things to frustrate Keegan Murray during the Big Ten season. He's going to have nights where he's frustrated. There's just no it, – it just happens. It happens to everybody. It happens to the greatest players that have come through this league. So, you're right. It's going to be which of the, the you know, the other guys. We've seen Peyton Sanford, I think, look really good so yeah, far. Right. But, it, you know, when you, you go up another level of competition, how will he react to that? Tony Perkins has had a really nice start to the season. There are guys, Patrick, when he's played, he's been out the last two games, has shown that potential. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I think you, you kind of know what you're going to get with Keegan. Um, and he he is the focal point of opposing scouting reports. And he opens some things up for other players. But you need to see a little bit more out of Rebracha. Mm-hmm. I think Joe Toussaint still is has those t- times where he's just, you know, looks really good at times, and then other times he, he's he, he's inconsistent, for lack of a better term. He right. has to he has to play with more consistency. Without question, that's going to be if there is a key to me, and, and I'm not putting any kind of context like they have to win any of these games, go one out of three um, next week. I mean, that would be good. No question, but I think you want to see, can they compete and how do they compete at this level? And, and it's going to be about taking care of the ball. I mean, he's got 27 assists, but he's also got five turnovers and you want to see more from that. You want to see bet a little bit more, you take care of the ball and you're going to have to, because the last thing they want to do is get mid season and he's really struggling and saying, okay, Jordan, we're going to have to move you back to the point uh, because that's exactly what they didn't want to do here all along. Um, you know, I, and, and, and they're going to, Teams are going to frustrate Keegan, no question. I think all three have those abilities. And as, and as you said, um, when you look at Rebraca, um, you know, the, you, you, when you go to, against Purdue and Illinois, that's going to be, those are going to be tough, tough, tough matchups. Both teams have great posts, you know, and certainly we all know about Coburn. <laughs> and yeah, Illinois yeah. has struggled to start this year, but they've also played higher level competition. So I do want to see Sanford. Can he keep this up? I, Heard some people saying, oh, yeah, he could be like Joe Wieskamp. Well, let's see. You know, I'm not going to make that prediction yet. So, uh, but, yeah, we, they're going to get past Portland State or whatever it's called um, on Friday. <laughs> and, then, and then after that, we'll see how they compete for real. And if they if they win a game or if they play well, then, okay, that bodes well for this team. If not, they, you know, they've got some time, you know, then they'll play what, Iowa State on the road, which – will be a competitive game. And then uh, Utah State and South Dakota before coming back and finished up with, uh, you know, my alma mater among them. <laughs> That'll be one of the tougher not 
conference games. Western's not bad this year. Yeah, they hung with uh, Nebraska, if I remember right. So, I think they, they beat win. Nebraska. Yeah, yeah they beat yeah. Nebraska. Wow, that's a lot different than when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, know, when I was there, they went to they went to the. Well, that's when they played at the Mark. The tournament was at the Mark. The the MidCon. <laughs> And they they always lost to freaking Bryce Drew and and yeah. you know, one year it was really close too. My last year, I would have gone to the tournament. Yeah, yeah, Bryce Drew. <laughs> he he ruined a lot of people's days. Bryce Drew, yeah. he was a hell of a player. Uh, Portland State, Scott. Um, you know the mascot? The Neil Neil Lomaxes. <laughs> Vikings. The, the the mascot Vikings. is Victor E, like you know, abbreviation for something. The E is for Viking. Victor E Viking is the Portland State mascot. Wow. Well, so I was going to say, are they uh, copying off of uh, the Minnesota Vikings? Their mascot's Victor. I think it's is Victor it really? Vikings. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Let's see who uh-huh. Portland State has played this year. Portland State is two and two. Um, Lost by nine at Oregon State, beat something called Evergreen State, uh, beat George Fox, maybe related to Red, <laughs> and uh, lost to Portland in the Battle of Portland. <laughs> lost to Portland. If it's the Trailblazers, then it's okay. <laughs> no. no, not the Trailblazers. It was a green out, and they lost at home to Portland. That's disappointing. Uh, maybe they should add a smoke out. You know? That'd be more Oregon-y. Uh, oh, this is, uh, it's good to know. They play, <laughs> in the Viking, they play in the Viking Pavilion. Okay. So, so they do like the big old horn like up in Minneapolis. Like, they should. Ooh. Hopefully they bring that with them Friday night. <laughs> well, it probably would echo, I'd imagine. You know? Yes. Yes. It's a six o'clock tip, is that right? Six o'clock tip, F. So you can uh, watch the Iowa Nebraska game, have a turkey sandwich, and then boom, watch the Iowa men's game. Maybe I'll put that on the car radio on the way home. That's good. You know, um, I'll say this that the best one I ever listened to after a, a football game, and it wasn't close, was um, when we went to the Rose Bowl. And I, I had to go to Denver, and this is such a crazy thing. My my wife's father retired as a doctor, so as a Christmas present, he and he and my mother in law decided to send the whole family to the Bahamas for Christmas. Now, guess what? I am I'm the jerk who can't really go, but I <laughs> go, and it just so happens to coincide with the Rose Bowl that year. Well, my flight out of Cedar Rapids was on, I can't remember what day it was, but then all of a sudden um, we had major ice storms in the Midwest. <laughs> and so I, we couldn't even leave the Bahamas. And so I'm already, I'm really upset because I'm like, man, I, I got to get there. I mean, luckily Halas and Morehouse were there anyway, but I want to get to the Rose Bowl. And so finally we we're able to get out. We got to, got home the next day, the only flight anywhere near that I could get on was in Denver. So I drove to Denver on drove, flew on Southwest, got to LA, watched that disaster, came back to Denver and was driving home. 
And it just so happened Iowa was playing at Purdue on Rick Mountain night. And then they were down, what, 19 points and ended up beating um, Purdue on Rick Mountain night over there. It was uh, – so that was entertaining. That kept me thoroughly engaged in eastern Colorado, western Nebraska for a two-and-a-half, three-hour period, which was all I could ask for. I have really good news for you. The weather in Lincoln, 60 and sunny on Friday. Nice. That's great. So, I love hearing that. yeah. For, so people that uh, maybe haven't made up their mind yet, whether they want to go out there and catch the game, um, wonderful weather for the end of November in the Midwest. 60 and sunny. I'll take that all. I'll take that every weekend. Yeah, I'll take that every day. No question. <laughs> and I think the great part is, you know, when, We've been through a few, a few for a few of these years where you're driving out there. 2015 comes to mind where you're like, oh man, when we had to leave Thanksgiving early and icy and uh, that's the worst. So yes, I thank you for that news. That's fantastic here. <laughs> and hopefully it's uh, the forecast calls for an Iowa win. Um, we'll be nice to get that in the bank and then check out the games on Saturday, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Really good Big Ten football on Saturday, Scott. Absolutely. And I guess I'm I'm really ex- I, I always I like Black Friday because then I can watch right. rivalry Saturday. Um and so if there's anything I really like about it, it's that. You know, there was a little bit of part of me, and probably same with you, where you're like, Yeah, it'd been nice to play Wisconsin on the final Saturday just because of the drive, you don't have to mess with Thanksgiving. But but I tell you what, being able to watch those games on um Friday or on Saturday, Michigan, Ohio State, and then of course we got um, you know, uh Minnesota, Wisconsin, which could have real implications if Iowa does win. That'll have major implications. And it, and it will definitely determine our next week, certainly, <laughs> depending on what happens there. If you're really bored, you can watch Rutgers and Maryland. I'll watch a few minutes of that if I have to. I mean, <laughs> but hey, the winner goes to a bowl game. That's pretty yeah. big deal. You know, North, and, and this, Northwestern this, Illinois. Uh, I would watch that just because it's West Division game, but. Yeah, that's not for a bowl game. <laughs> yeah, and then the bucket. I thought that would be a, a better – I mean, Indiana, just most disappointing team in the Big Ten, I think. Mm-hmm. Them or Northwestern? I think they are. Yeah, because Northwestern, they lost a lot of guys. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Indiana was brought everybody back. They're ranked ahead of Iowa going into the year. Yep. And, uh, you know, after last year, all the love each other stuff and uh, happy stuff. And <laughs> and then here we are. Um, the, I don't think they've won a game yet in the Big Ten. So uh, they're going to they're going to get it put to them, you know, in, in this game. And they didn't play that last year, the bucket. And, and remember that that really cost Iowa because if they would have been able to yeah. play and then play in the bucket game and. And then they would have played Iowa instead of uh, Michigan. They're getting slotted with Iowa. And then if the Hawkeyes would have won, they would have been in like a New Year's Six game. But instead, Iowa didn't get a play, and then Iowa fell all the way down to the Music City Bowl, which didn't happen either. <laughs> I'm glad 2020 is over. With. Yeah, amen to that. Um, all right, folks, I think that'll do it for this episode of the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast. I hope everybody has a Wonderful Thanksgiving. And uh, if you're listening to this on Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving. And uh, 
sure I, I share share those sentiments with you as well, Scott. Yeah, Kevin, I hope all of you are doing well, and uh, hope everyone here listening is, is has a great day. Enjoy Friday because these these the season goes so fast, and we know what's ahead weather wise. So enjoy it while it lasts. It's it's over. It's a blink. It's gone. But uh, then we've got next week and, and beyond. So we'll see what happens after that. Good news is Festivus is right around the corner. So something to look forward to. Festivus for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Happy holiday. And uh, we will talk to you again next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.